Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Verses 1 through 10. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Again, if you're not a member of our church, we encourage you to come talk to me, one of our elders, about uh, becoming a member. It's very simple. You can talk to these people um, who just joined, and we'd love to have you apart. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, let me just preface something really quick by saying a few weeks ago when we talked about Acts chapter 2, we preached or talked about the entire chapter on one Sunday. And one of the reasons we did that is because Acts chapter 2 takes place within um, about a two-hour period. And any time we find a place in Scripture that something happens over a very short amount of time, whether it takes up several chapters or just a few verses, I like to discuss it or preach about it all in one setting instead of breaking it up. Now with that said, I'm going to kind of break my own rule today because all of Acts chapter 3 and the first five, six verses of chapter four happen from three o'clock in the afternoon until nighttime that night, and then chapter four is the next day. So I would love to just cover all of chapter three today. I really would, but we'd be here till about three o'clock this afternoon. That's okay with me. I got nothing else to do this afternoon, uh, and you know I can preach that long. But respectful of your time, and without just kind of glossing over stuff too quickly, we want to uh, take our time and really understand some of the power that's going on, some of the amazing things that is happening here. And especially next week, we're going to look at Peter's sermon, and it is a theological powerhouse, the sermon that he preaches in chapter 3. But uh, So we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 3 and then a little bit of chapter 4. The title of the message today is Giving the Best Thing When People Ask for the Wrong Thing. Giving the Best Thing When People Ask for the Wrong Thing. I don't know about you, but I always heard teachers in school say there's no stupid questions. And then I'd ask a question and they'd make me feel stupid. But, uh, and I guess that's true to an extent. There's no dumb questions or stupid questions. But sometimes I think we don't know to ask the right questions. And when I was a kid, when I was in, in college, I, I would hear a professor say that, that you got to learn to ask the right questions, which frustrated me because I thought, well, if I knew the right question, I probably wouldn't be asking you because I could go find the answer. You know, and I didn't understand what asking the right question meant. But there's a lot of people in life that you work with on a regular basis, that you're related to, um, that you interact with on a regular basis that are asking the wrong question in life. They're asking for the wrong solution to their problem. And so what we're going to look at today is what does the Bible say? Giving the best thing when people ask for the wrong thing. Once you are at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, if you'd stand with me as we read God's word together. The actions of the disciples after Jesus left. Luke, who was a follower, later follower of Jesus, writes this, and he gives this eyewitness account. Now, Peter and John, who were disciples of Jesus, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man 
lame or crippled from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms or money. Verse 4, And Peter directed his focus at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. And just quickly look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together with them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, very quickly, look over at chapter 4. We're going to look... Chapter 4 should be the next page there. Look at verse 4. But many of those who heard the word, talking about Peter's sermon that we'll talk about next week, many of those who heard the word believed. In other words, they became followers of Christ. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Father, we thank you for your word that is alive, that is truth, that is uncompromising. We thank you, Lord, that in a world that is, uh, in a culture that is constantly changing its standards and ever lowering its standards, your word is the ultimate truth and standard. Father, we thank you that you are a God that heals today. You are a God that this isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago in in a, a country overseas, but it happens today. You are a God that hears us when we pray and you heal us when we call upon you. Father, we thank you. We give this message to you. We give our attention to you. We ask that you would anoint these lips of clay and flesh. That these would be your words and not mine. We love you and we thank you. And we give this day to you. We're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Again, all of chapter 3 takes place from about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So a little bit after we get out of, out of service today. Until that night. And then chapter 4 picks up. Uh, the next day and and it starts off and again notice all the cause and effect that takes place here Um, verses chapter 3 verses 3 through 5 there's a begging there's a beggar verses 6 through 7 there's a healing verses 8 through 10 there's praising verses 11 through 26 there's preaching that we'll talk about next week and chapter 4 verse 3 they're thrown into prison But chapter 4, verse 4, is life-changing. Look at all the cause and effect. Because this man was begging, he was healed. Because he was healed, he praises God. And as he's praising God, he, he doesn't just praise God, oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. I mean, the guy is shouting. He is dancing. He is going nuts. I'd hope that you would be too if you never walked in your entire life. The, the Bible later says this man was over 40 years old. He was crippled from the time he was in his mama's tummy. When he was in his mama's belly as a baby, he was crippled. And this is the first time he's ever walked He's worshiping God. Because he's worshiping God, he attracts the attention of all the other people coming in to worship that day. Thousands and thousands of people. And because of that, Peter stands up in the boldness and power of the Holy Spirit and preaches a phenomenal sermon. And as a result of that, or the effect is, 
he's thrown into prison. But the result is over 5,000 people become followers of Christ that day. Again, all those cause and effect. Peter and John begin the day here in chapter 3 by going up to pray and to worship God. As they're going in, they heal a man crippled. He preaches a sermon that 5,000 people are saved and they spend that night in jail. I want you to think about that. Just pause. Imagine this morning, you are full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You're coming in this morning, and as you're walking into church, there's a crippled beggar outside of our doors, which would be horrible. Hopefully we'd welcome that person. But there's a beggar outside the door. And as you're coming in, other people have walked right past that person. Maybe that guy's been there for 40 years, and he's just part of the everyday scenery of your life when you go to church. Yep, there's, you even know him by name. But as this day, something is different in you, and what's different is you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. As you're walking in, you see this man, he's asking you for money, and instead of giving him a $5 bill or a $10 bill or whatever you'd give him, instead you say, listen, I don't have any money. I'm not a rich guy. I'm not a wealthy guy, but I've got something a lot better than any check I could ever write to you, and that is the healing power of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, rise and be healed. And immediately you grab the man, and he leaps up on his feet, and is shouting and is dancing and is running up and down. And imagine that thousands of people are here that day and the ruckus and the commotion and, and, and several of those people don't know about Jesus Christ. They just know about dead, worthless religion. And so you begin to say, hey, this is about Jesus. And you point to the Bible and you point to the cross of Christ and His resurrection. And as a result of that, 5,000 people become Christians because this man was healed and as a result of your sermon. But because of that, people get upset and you spend that night in jail you got up that day to come to a house to worship God a man is healed 5,000 people are saved and you spend the night in jail I don't know how you can't love the book of Acts it's absolutely incredible preaching that turns into persecution it's amazing giving the best thing when people ask for the wrong thing. We have some pictures here because I just want you to see, maybe help you visualize a little bit of what's going on. This is a, a model of what Herod's temple would have looked like during the time of the disciples and the time of Jesus. So what I want you to look at here in uh, verse 1, talking about the ninth hour, it's also the time that Jesus died on the cross. The Gospels tell us that he died at about the ninth hour. So it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the way they do time compared to how we do time. Jesus died on the cross about this time. This man is healed. This was the time that every day they offered two sacrifices to God, two times of prayer and worship, one in the early, early morning and one in the afternoon at about 3 o'clock. And Peter and John are coming to the afternoon service to worship. It talks about the gate beautiful this is also most likely the gate that Jesus entered in in Matthew 21 during his triumphal entry. So it's amazing things that are going on here. That Jesus in his triumphal entry during the last week of his life, Matthew 21, this is most likely the same gate. And this is a picture of the gate. You can kind of see the one in front the, that has golden, it looks like gold, but it's bronze. And writers talked about that this door, this gate was more precious, more valuable, more beautiful than all the other gates around the temple area. When the sun would hit this bronze door, it would almost be uh, bright, so bright that you couldn't look at it. 
But this is the complex. So you could imagine this man from 40 years old, the day he was born, for 40 years, his family, most likely his parents had probably died, but his friends would carry him and lay him in front of that gate. And every day, morning and night, he would take his can and rattle it and ask for money every single day of his life. You got any alms? You got any money? Any money? People are coming in. They're worshiping. Never walked in his life. You got alms? Got some money? Asking for money. And Peter and John say, look at us. And they don't just say, hey, check us out. I mean, they, they say, the, the word in Greek, I want you to focus on us. And he does, and they focus on him. This was the main and the largest gate, by the way. It's the one that had direct access into the temple. The crippled people were not allowed in. It's not like church today where, hey, come, we'll pray for you. No, at that day, if you're crippled, if you're blind, if you're lame, if you have any physical disability whatsoever, you can only go on that gate. You can't go in. You can't go farther. You're so close and yet so far away. God's presence is within arm's reach of you, but because you're, uh, you have a disadvantage, because you're handicapped, because you're crippled, God's presence is so close and so far. That's what we see here. Crippled people were not allowed in. This man is just trying to survive on a daily basis and make ends meet. Here's a picture I found of, of probably maybe the most realistic snapshot that if one of the other 11 disciples had a Polaroid camera, they'd take a picture and this is what it would look like. But, I mean, think about this picture for a few moments. This is from a movie about Acts. But what's amazing is you have people just continuing to go in, ignoring this, just walking right by. And here's Peter and John and the other disciples looking on. They heard this man 40 years. Got any money? Could you spare a dime? Could you spare a $5 bill? i got to eat tonight. Just trying to make a living. Just trying to survive. He was so close to God's presence, but could never experience God's presence because he had an impurity. He was disadvantaged. He was held within arm's length of God. Here is what the beautiful is today. And it's not the exact same gate, but it's built on the foundations. The exact gate is probably about 50 feet below that. And uh, two summers ago when I was in Israel, that's the next picture, um, I got to see that gate and I thought about this passage, thought about the triumphal entry of Jesus. There's a cemetery all around it. And again, the original gate that this took place is probably about 50 feet underground because of archaeology. The gate beautiful. So many people in life that you and I know are asking the wrong thing. Verses 1 through 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms or money of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in, he asked to receive alms. There are many people asking for the wrong thing. There are people that you and I know, they're asking for a better job, asking for a better career. Some are asking for a better spouse. That's big time trouble there. 
but they're asking maybe for a better church. They're asking for more education. They're asking for more money. People that you and I know are doing this with their life, and instead of an actual tin can with coins inside, it's the hollowness of their spirit. It's the hollowness of their heart, and nothing is filling the void that only God can fill, and so just like this noise would get annoying after a while, it's hollow, it's empty. The coins are reverberating throughout the can. So it is with people that you and I know. Their spirit is hollow. Their life is empty. And they're filling it with everything they can to fill the void. And instead, they're walking around doing this with their life. Hollow. Empty. Asking for the wrong thing. A better status. Why didn't, my question is, why didn't this man's friends, it said that his friends laid him daily at the gate. Why didn't the man's friends or other temple officials, or other words, Christian people or pastors in that day, temple priests, why didn't they, or people going up, offer to pray to heal this man? For 40 years, the guy stood out there, or sat out there. And for 40 years... Other religious believing Jews, God fearing Jews who could quote the Old Testament, other people who, man, it'd be like us, they go to church every Sunday and they know the Bible backwards and forwards. They know everything about it. They can impress you with their Bible knowledge. They can impress you with how much money they give. For 40 years, he was ignored. And instead of giving what the man really needed, they only gave him what he asked for. And he was asking for the wrong thing, he was asking for money. Why didn't the religious people or the temple officials or God-fearing Jews say, hey, we believe that God can heal. Let's pray for this man to be healed. I mean, what kind of friends are, does this guy really have that for 40 years, instead of saying, we're going to take you to a healer or we're going to make sure that you're prayed for. Or we're, no, they just say, they just sit there and collect money and we'll take you know, 10% off the top of what you collect every night and eat, and eat that and survive on that. That's, that's horrible friends. If you have friends like that, you need to get some new friends. Why didn't other people offer to pray for this man to be healed? That's my question. We're surrounded by beggars. And so many times in life, we ask for help first instead of going to the healer first. Man, I know, unfortunately, that's been true at times in my life. Instead of going to the healer, and I don't just mean with physical ailments that we have, physical disadvantages, of course, obviously, that's what the case is here. But I mean even emotional things, mental things. I mean things with your marriage. I mean things with your finances. I mean things at work, things with your family, things with your neighborhood. The stuff of your life, the issues of your life, instead of going to the healer, Jesus doesn't just heal us physically, although we absolutely believe that he does. We know that he does, like in this passage, but he can heal your finances finances. He can heal your broken relationships. He can restore your family. He can heal your broken job or your career or your community. And instead of going to him first, what we're doing is we're asking for help. We go to the government for help. We go to our accountant for help. We go to our financial planner. We go to a doctor. We go to a counselor. Whatever the case is, and not all those things are bad, but it is bad when you go to them first instead of going to the healer first. So many people, sometimes even Christians, we ask for help first instead of asking for healing. And what we really need is not just a temporary band-aid to help us get over the hump. 
and past these couple of months because it's really hard, it's times are tough. No, no, no. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to perform a miracle in our life, to perform spiritual surgery, supernatural surgery, to restore what is crippled and handicapped in your life. Understand, only a touch from God can fix certain things in your life. Only a touch from God can fix certain things in your life. Listen, I believe with all my heart, and you know this, programs are good. Things that you can go to for help are good. We, we do a lot of those at our church. We support a lot of those. But there is a problem. When you have Christ the healer, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the be-all, end-all, one-stop shop solution, and instead of going to Him directly and praying fervently and having the faith to back up our prayers and actions, instead of doing that first, we go to everyone else but Him. We're surrounded by beggars programs are good but there's step number two step number one in your life is a touch from Jesus Christ programs are good but that's the second step you take the first step the step that can really change you for the long haul the step that can really impact and turn your life around and really set things right in your life is a touch from God Almighty only God can do certain things in your life can touch you and you be healed we're surrounded by beggars. The reality is, I was a beggar once myself. I was, as scripture says, blind, but now I see. This was me years ago at my life, begging for anything, begging for anything to fill the void in my life. More money, better status, more popularity, whatever the case is. And instead, once I had a touch from God, once another Christian had the boldness and power of the Holy Spirit to confront me and say, listen, put your can down. You don't need to rattle your can for help anymore. Put the can down because what you need is a touch from God. He can set you free. He can deliver you. He can heal you. He can restore you. He can make your life right. And once I had a touch from God, I put the can down. So many people, they go to doctors, friends, money, government, other people's opinions, and they need to understand, like this man, only a touch from God can fix certain things in your life. You see, if the disciples would have only given him money, that would have taken care of him for maybe a day or two, maybe a week. He would have been fed. But when their money ran out, he'd still be doing this. When the money that they gave, whether it be $5, $100, doesn't matter, it's going to run out. Your bank account can run out. Or either it will run out or you will run out and it will be passed on to your kids and they'll fight over it. One of the two is going to probably happen in your life. But instead of giving the man money, which was just a band-aid to help him over the hump, no, they said, put the can down. We're going to give you something more priceless than gold or silver. I see those commercials all the time, and they drive me nuts up the wall with the guy from Roslyn Capital. Hi, I'm Rick Dubain. I'm with Roslyn Capital, and I invest in gold. You know, I get that. And what I would love to shout at my TV, but it wouldn't make sense, and you'd think I'm crazy, is listen, I got something, buddy, better than silver and gold, because the one that I live for and worship created all the silver and gold, and he has a city that he owns and lives that the streets are paved with gold. So you can take your gold and, and stuff it in a sack for all I care. People are asking for the wrong thing. 
Secondly, is giving the right thing. This man is asking for the wrong thing. And why you say, well, Brian, you're beating up on this poor beggar guy. I mean, come on. Yeah, I get that. But just, and we don't have time to look at it today, but quickly, if you were to look back, look at it this afternoon, go back to Matthew chapter, uh, I believe, 19 or 20, when Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, the, the triumphal entry, and he's in a town called Jericho, the oldest city in the world. And as he is leaving the city or about to enter the city, there's a blind man named Bartimaeus. Sounds like a good cowboy name, by the way. But he sees a blind man named Bartimaeus. And, and the blind man had probably been born blind, Bartimaeus, his entire life. Just like this cripple. He was probably an older adult, just like this crippled man. And instead of Bartimaeus saying, Jesus, heal me, or Jesus, give me money, he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. More than Jesus giving me money, because money expires. Your social status expires. Your relationships can end. But what can never end is a touch from God that will leave you changed, leave you healed, leave you set free, leave you delivered. Bartimaeus doesn't say, Jesus, give me some money. He doesn't have his can out there. He probably had a can, but he isn't saying, Jesus, give me money. No, Bartimaeus says, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, would you have mercy on me? So no, I'm not beating up on this guy because Bartimaeus could have done the same thing. He knew to ask the right question. This man is asking the wrong question. You are surrounded by people who are living their life daily empty, daily hollow, and they're daily rattling and asking the wrong question. Well, maybe I can get help from here. Maybe if I had a better job or a better spouse or a better career, I had more education, if I was better looking, if I was smarter, if I had more money, no, you're, they're asking the wrong question. What they need is a touch from God. Here's the good news for them and for us is you have the right thing, the right answer. Verses 4 through 7. Again, verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive money. He's asking the wrong question. Verse 4. And Peter focused his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. Oh, he's about to receive something, all right. About to blow his socks off. He's about to get socks, maybe for the first time in his life. Look at, but, and fixed his gaze, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I'm just a poor preacher. Yeah, I could relate to that. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. It's amazing stuff. He had the right thing to give. Listen, when you give Christ to a person who is crippled, and I don't just mean physically, I mean spiritually, I mean emotionally, and I do mean physically as well. But when you give Christ to someone who is crippled in life, asking the wrong questions, you never know that their testimony may lead to 5,000 people following Christ. Again, that night, this happened at 3 in the afternoon, by probably a few hours later, that evening, that afternoon, 5, 6 o'clock in the evening, look at chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word that Peter preached about Christ, as a result of this, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The message of Jesus is far more valuable than any money. It's priceless. Money would have only helped him for a few days. Healing fixed him for life. Again, I want you to put yourself in this man's crippled shoes. 
Think about this. As we had that picture up earlier of the temple, for 40 years, every single day of his life, no one offered to pray for him to be healed, that we know of anyway. All they did was give him money, give him a temporary band-aid when he needed a permanent solution. For 40 years, he could see God's presence. He could smell the offering and the worship and the sacrifice, but he could never personally experience God's presence. That would drive me up the wall. He is so close, but so far. He can see it, he can smell it, but he can't experience it for himself. For 40 long, agonizing years. He is about to receive a touch from God and never be the same. He's about to experience God's presence for the first time. And it's like, I want you to think back. When was the first time you really experienced God's presence in your life? I mean, when was that defining moment where you said, man, I know beyond, it wasn't just emotionalism, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have been in God's presence. I have a touch from God in my life. Can you remember that moment? It should be fresh in your heart. It should never stray. It should never have cobwebs in the mind of your memory. It should be fresh. This man is about to experience the presence of God for the first time in his life, and he's 40 years old. He's about to walk for the first time. It's not like he could run and play as a little kid and then he became crippled. No, he had never walked before, didn't know what that was like, never experienced walking. He doesn't just walk. Listen, when the Holy Spirit touches you, He doesn't just a little dabble do you and, and you're good for now. No, He overwhelms you. The man didn't just learn to walk, but verse 8 says he was walking and leaping and dancing and praising God. When you have a touch from God, it's not just a little goosebump and a little tear. Oh, church was nice today. It is my life has been changed forever. It's not a little dabble do me, but it is an overwhelming experience that I'll never be the same. I am changed. I have had a touch from God today. He's about to receive a touch and never be the same. What a normal day for this man, this cripple, turned out to be an extraordinary miracle. And thousands were saved and he was healed. Think about it. The guy woke up that morning. His friend said, hey, Billy, whatever his name was, probably a Jewish name, but we'll just call him Billy. Hey, Billy. It's time to go to the temple. We're going to lay out there and all day long. That's all they did, all day. Let's get going. He grabbed the, the little cart that they carry him in. He grabbed his money cup every day, day after day, all day. It was a normal day for him. But that day, just like Peter and John, they, they're going in as kind of a normal day to worship. Not that any day is normal when you worship God, but they're going to worship God as part of their routine. And, and it ended them being in prison, but 5,000 pe people being saved. So it was with this guy. It's a normal day, asking for money. But he ends that day walking and leaping and praising God and seeing 5,000 people believe in Jesus Christ. Absolutely phenomenal. If this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what can. He's about to receive a touch from God and never be the same. Let me ask you a question. What around you, or really who around you, that seems part of the everyday scenery of your life, that if you shared Christ with them, if you gave them Christ, they'd be part of a supernatural celebration? This man was part of the everyday scenery for thousands of Jews. Bible-believing, God-fearing, Old Testament-believing Jews. He was part of the regular scenery for them. 
Who in your life, I want you to think about that, who around you in your life do you interact with on a regular daily basis that's just become part of the everyday scenery, everyday routine of your life, that if you shared the message, the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit with them would be changed so much so that it would radically change their life, but also literally thousands of people would follow Christ. Who? Who? When you give Christ to a person who is crippled, their testimony may lead to 5,000 people following him. I know a story of a, of a man in my church growing up. His name was Rick. I loved Rick. He was kind of half crazy from all the years of, of hard drugs that he did, but he was a blast to be around. But Rick was, in our little church in, in southeast Kansas, Rick was on the Kansas Bureau of Investigation top 10 most wanted list. He's a bad dude. A bad dude. He was the number one drug dealer in Cherokee County, Kansas. Bad, bad dude. Rick somehow got a hold of Christ. Christ got a hold of him. Was never the same. You could, our, our church was bigger than this, and Rick would be on the other side of the room, and you knew, you could have your eyes closed, you knew when Rick was in the building, he couldn't be quiet. What God had did, done in his life, it was such a radical change. I mean, every time the worship would start, he was shouting, he was dancing, he was so thankful to be out of the muck and the mire and the patheticness of sin and drugs in his life, that he was changed forever. And as a result of that, it started with just Rick, but the next Sunday, Rick brought two buddies, and they were drug dealers too. And the next week, they brought friends. And before you know it, we had like 100 drug dealers in our church. It was awesome. I mean, it was so cool. It, hey, KBI, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, could just come to our church and take all these guys to jail. It was incredible. You never know. Someone had to share the message of Christ with Rick. And as a result of Rick receiving Christ, his life has changed. He's still following God today. And, and thousands of people, not a doubt in my mind, are following Christ because of him. Listen, that's why it is absolutely critical that you who know Christ and have received Christ freely give the message of Christ to everyone around you because you never know that they could respond and it would not only change their life, but thousands around them. This name of Jesus in verse 6, and, and we'll discuss this a little more next week, but I just want to touch on it. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. There's an exclamation point there. You know that I love that. Listen, the name of Jesus, names matter. It was Jesus who was the source of power, not Peter. Later in Acts, we're going to come across a guy that was uh, named Sceva, which is a cool name, right? Sceva. But this guy, Sceva, watched the disciples heal people in the name of Jesus. And so he wants to do that. And he says, in the name of Jesus, who Paul talks about, or these guys talk about, he understood, but he didn't know him. No, the power is in the name of Jesus, not Peter. Understand this, that in Judaism, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of their being. In other words, the power of the person is present and available in the name of that person. It is not the specific use of the name Jesus that heals the lame man. Rather, the source of power that can and in fact does heal the crippled beggar 
in Jesus himself. What we're saying is that it's not just in Jesus' name let this happen and that's kind of how we should end our prayers because, you know, no. What he's saying is when he uses in the name of Jesus, he is unleashing the power of Jesus himself. So it's not the prayer that healed this man. It is literally Jesus Christ himself that comes down and heals this man. When you pray and when we pray for you in Jesus' name be healed, we're not just saying to identify with Jesus Christ of the Bible. We are praying that the power of Jesus, God in the flesh, would be unleashed in your situation, be unleashed on your disease, and you'd be made whole. Not because of my prayer or my faith, but because we're praying in Jesus' name that his power would be unleashed on your situation. The question for you today is, are you giving the right thing? Or are you just giving dead religion? I've been around Pittsburgh for four years, and I say this in all love. There's a lot of quote-unquote Christians, and they're not giving the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not giving the life-changing message of Jesus. What they are giving is dead religion. What they are giving is a bunch of dead religious church services that amount to a hill of beans. Are you giving Jesus Christ who is alive today, who is living in your life and who the power of God Almighty through the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you? Are you actively giving that off and sharing it almost like radiation? I mean, you're just, you're just beaming it out. Or are you spreading just dead religion? Are you giving the right thing? You're surrounded by beggars. This church is surrounded by beggars in Pittsburgh. You at your job, in your family, your friends are surrounded by beggars. They're asking the wrong question. They're asking, what can I get? If I had a better job, if I had more money, if I had government help, if I had more education, if I was better looking, they're asking the wrong question. And it is your job, it's your duty, it's your obligation, not just to give them a $5 bill and help them. No, it's your job, your duty, and your obligation to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ with them that would leave them forever changed. Are you giving that? or dead religion. Third, responding to the best thing. This is maybe the best part of the whole story, I don't know, but responding to the best thing. Verses 8 through 10. I love this. Boy, the more I read this this past week and, and weeks ago, I just get excited and more excited and more excited. I'm dancing a jig in my office as I'm studying over this. Look, I wish we had some people worship God like this. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. For the first time in 40 years, he doesn't just see God's presence. He can't just smell God's presence. It's not just an arm's length away that he's so close but so far. For the first time in 40 years of his life, he stood right outside and now he is entering in the temple. He is entering in to God's presence for the first time in his life. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And as a result, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him because he was part of the everyday scenery of their life for 40 years as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for money. And they, all these 5,000 people, and maybe even more, were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Remember what we said last week at Acts chapter 2 at the end, that signs and wonders follow the disciples? Hey, this is what we're talking about. When was the last time signs and wonders followed our church, followed your life, followed your family? 
The only proper response to God's healing touch in your life, physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, relationally, the only proper response to God's healing touch in your life is praise. And listen, when I say praise, I don't just mean a little thank you, Jesus. I just thank you so much. I appreciate that. And listen, there are times when it's a deep and emotional thing and you don't always have to shout. But there's times in your life and I've experienced where I can't shout because it's such a deep thing. But I am in tears. My spirit is broken before him. And I am in such awe and such things that I am truly speechless. And that's very appropriate and proper. But there are other times just as well when, man, God touches you, God healed you, God restored you, God changed your life, where the only proper response is shouting, is dancing, is leaping, is praising God. I don't care if the Baptists make fun of me or the Methodists or the Presbyterian. I don't care if Assembly of God people think I I don't care what my spouse thinks or my kids think. I'm just happy that God changed my life. I'm happy that I was crippled and now I can leap and walk. I'm happy that I was blind, but now I can see. I'm happy that God touched and changed my life forever. That's the only proper response. This man could never experience God's presence for 40 years. And now not only is he experiencing God's presence, he's leaping into God's presence. He went from a beggar outside to a worshiper inside. I love that. Maybe you want to write that down. He went from a beggar outside to a worshiper inside. Beautiful. Beautiful. He's outside, but he comes inside as a worshiper. One of the things that I love is that he was healed outside the temple. He didn't have to be in the temple to be healed. You understand that you don't need to call the pastor when someone comes to you and they need healing or they need prayer or they need help. You don't need to give me a call. Yeah, I encourage you, that's fine. But you have just as much Holy Spirit power in you that I have in me. So Peter and John didn't say, well, let's get the other guys and pray. Let's call the church prayer line. No, no, no. Peter and John said, we'll just take care of this right now. And, and we know you didn't ask to be healed. We get that. You asked for money. But we're going to give you something better than money because money isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. Healing is the answer. And they shared the message of Christ. And he was healed outside the temple. You don't have to be in church to have a touch from God. You don't have to be on a Sunday morning to experience God's presence. You can experience it by yourself. You can experience it at home, in your car, on the way to work, or even at work. Boy, that'd be something. to get a touch of God, be walking and leaping and shouting and dancing at your job. Maybe then 5,000 people would come to Christ. When God touches your life, not only is your life changed, but it leads to those around you being changed. This crippled man, think about it, never dreamed, probably, that God would use his disadvantaged to save 5,000 people. Think about that. This crippled man for 40 years, he had gotten so, because he was born this way, was so used to being crippled. He probably never a dream that God could use me being crippled to reach 5,000 people for him. Probably never dreamed that. Probably never thought about that. That what I consider a disease, what I consider to be crippled, what I consider to be a disadvantage, God can use to not only change my life, but reach 5,000 people for Him. Understand that what you consider a disadvantage, the Holy Spirit can touch and use to reach thousands for Him. When your life is changed, people should notice. A real touch of the power of the Holy Spirit revival will shake up the status quo. Remember, the theme of Acts is the Holy Spirit was given to the church, to Christians, 
to change the world. What you consider a disadvantage in your life, what you consider to be a disadvantage or to hold you back or to be a cripple. Well, I'd love to do more for God, but I have this. Well, I wish I could do more. No, what you consider a disadvantage. You don't hear anything. You got to hear this. Maybe you write it down and think about it. Pray about it this week. What you consider a disadvantage in your life, holding you back. If you give it to God, God can touch and use that disadvantage to reach 5,000 people for him and you'll never be the same again. We see this in Acts. Paul talks about this all the time. That, that, hey, I'm not a very good speaker, but the Holy Spirit uses me. You never know what is holding you back, what is a disadvantage to you, God can use to touch and use to reach thousands for Him. Finally, today, how to give the best thing when people ask for the wrong thing. How to give the best thing when people ask for the wrong thing. Well, pray for the Holy Spirit to help you see the beggars around you. And obviously, we're not talking about financial beggars. That's maybe part of it. Spiritual beggars. They can live in the richest house in your neighborhood or the poorest house in your neighborhood. They can have the, the, a spouse that maybe you're jealous of. Hopefully not. They can have everything together on the outside. But spiritually, they're empty, hollow beggars. You never know what you consider a disadvantage God can use to reach thousands for Him. Pray this week and in the coming weeks for the Holy Spirit to help you see the beggars around you. Here's, if we're not careful, we can be just like the thousands of Jewish people who went up to that temple every day, twice a day. And this man was just part of the everyday scenery. They took him for granted. And one day, Peter and John said, you're not part of the everyday scenery. We pray God, and he was healed, touched from the Holy Spirit, 5,000 people came to Christ. The Holy Spirit helped them see the beggars. He wasn't just physically crippled, but spiritually. Other people gave up on this man. His friends gave up. You're, you're born crippled. I hate to tell you, there's no medical miracle that we can do. You're going to die a cripple. And we love you and, and we'll be here for you, but you're a cripple from birth. You're going to die a cripple. His friends gave up on him. Who in your life, tomorrow morning when you go to work, when you go to school, who in your life, in your family, maybe this afternoon, other people have given up on? Other people just kind of ignore that if you paid attention to them and you shared and gave Christ with them would change their life. And secondly, actively give the life-changing message of Jesus with them so that they become a worshiper instead of a beggar. That is the goal of your life. When you get to heaven, God will not ask you how much money you made. God will not ask you how many Sunday morning church services you went to. God won't ask you how much of the Bible you can quote. When you get to heaven, God will look you eyeball to eyeball and ask you, how many beggars did you turn into worshipers? Well, if the pastor would have done, that's not an excuse. Well, if our Sunday school would have, no. Well, if our church, well, if I would have been better, I just was uncomfortable doing that. Well, you know, that's not my gift and I just, not an excuse. It wasn't an excuse for the other thousands of people who passed this man up and other people gave up on. How many people have you turned from a beggar to a worshiper? 
Listen, we as followers of Jesus Christ in the year 2015 should not be telling the world what God did 2,000 years ago. Instead, we should be telling the world what God is doing here, what God is doing on the earth today, what God is doing in your life right now, this week, what God did last week, what God is doing in our church. And we celebrated that this morning with people coming in and, and we're experiencing more of God's presence. We should not be saying, hey, this happened 2,000 years ago and, and, and the things that God did is history. Absolutely not. What kind of a God is that? No, instead, I want to be about telling people this is what God is doing today this is what God's doing in my life and in my church and in my family and I want to share the message of Christ with you I know you're asking the wrong questions you're asking for more of stuff to fill the, the empty can in your life but I'm going to give you Christ and I want to turn you from a beggar into a worshiper if you want to stand a worship team will come back let's end in prayer this morning Father, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the same as we read about in Acts chapter 3. And this message should fire us up. It should grab our attention. It should grab our spirit and shake us like we've shaked this empty can. It should shake us into a reality of hunger for more of you. It should shake off the spiritual laziness, the spiritual slough, the spiritual deadness. It should shake us to the point where we want to be in action. We want to be like this like this beggar we want to be shouting and leaping and praising God and celebrating what you did for us maybe it was 5,000 days ago maybe it was it was years ago or, or, or weeks ago but we want to celebrate as if it happened today what you've done in our life and as a result we want to actively share and give the message of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit we want to give the message of Christ to the beggars that you have surrounded us with instead of complaining about our job Help us to see the co-workers that we have through your eyes, through your broken heart, that they're lost and they don't know you. And let us actively be giving Christ to the beggars in this world, in our communities, in our families, and at our job, in our friends, so that they go from a beggar, never experiencing your presence, to a worshiper. And that, Father, help us to understand what we consider a disadvantage in our life, you can use to reach thousands of people for you. Help us to be an Acts type of a church today. A 21st century Acts church, full of the fire and power and passion of the Holy Spirit, actively, boldly sharing Christ and seeing the Holy Spirit heal people, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually. Restoring relationships. That lives would be changed in our communities and in this church and in the greater Pittsburgh area. Father, we love you and we thank you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see this week. That's our prayer and our heartbeat. Show us the beggars around us that are spiritually poor, spiritually broke. They may have all the money in the world. But just like Peter and John said, money doesn't matter because you can't buy a touch from God. You can't buy the blood of Jesus. It cost him his life, but it's free for us to receive. It changes our life. Help us to see the beggars around us, the people that other people have given up on. They've written off. They're hopeless. But let us see them. Maybe they've become part of the everyday scenery of our life, and we've just taken that for granted. Holy Spirit, would you convict us of that? Would you open our eyes and see them the way you see them as a lost person? That our heart would break like your heart breaks for the lost? And let us do something about it, not just walk on by, 
Let us do something like Peter and John. Say, listen, I know you're asking the wrong question. You're asking for something else. But what I can give you will satisfy your every need. Like Jesus told the woman at the well in John that if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. In other words, when you have a dose of Jesus, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll never want for anything else in your life. Let us actively share Christ with them. And help us to understand that what we may think is a disadvantage you could very well use that thing if we give it to you to reach thousands for you. We love you and thank you and we're nothing without you. If there's anyone here and you've never given your life to Christ, boy, today's a perfect opportunity. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I, I just encourage you, before you leave, if you want to come to the front, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to talk to the person next to you. Maybe you want to fill out that connection card and I'll call you this week. We can go out for coffee. I'd love to talk with you more about it. But I promise you, you won't regret it. I've never met a, a true follower of Jesus who's regretted giving their life to him. Their life has changed for the better and they never trade it for all the silver and gold in the world. Father, we love and we thank you. We are truly nothing without you. You and you alone, Father, give our life purpose. You give our life meaning. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive our sins and set us free. Father, I love you and thank you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bless every person that is here this morning. May you bless their coming in, their going out. May you bless all that they put their hands to. May you bless them at their homes. May you bless them at their jobs. Bless them at their families to stand up and stand out for you. Bless them with a greater hunger for your presence and a greater passion to understand and live by the truth of your word. Father, may you bless us as a body of believers, Lord, with favor in your eyes and the eyes of our communities. May you give us greater unity, love for one another. Give us a greater passion for your presence and understanding to live by the truth of your word, passion to reach the lost for you. Help us to be a biblically healthy, fruit-bearing church that changes lives in our community. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give this day to you. We're nothing without you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.